Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Speaking of seeing how it works out, this was just announced as I was talking to uh, Evan Sidery. For the Pro Bowl this weekend, right down in Orlando, Gardner Minshew, Colts quarterback, is now a pro bowler. (laughs) True story. A pro bowler as an alternate. That is uh, truly unbelievable. I wonder what the escalator is or bonus he's going to get for being as a part of the pro bowl. Gardner Minshew, Colts quarterback. Now, before you go, oh, my goodness, what is the – we've all heard it before to the point where it just kind of wears you out. I think Tyler Huntley, right, of the Ravens, was in the Pro Bowl a year ago. So, yeah, before you take that particular path, just understand that we're all pretty much aware of it. But, I mean, good for him. There's got to be a bonus in there somewhere. You guys are all asking me, so now does that raise his price tag? Is it going to make it more difficult to bring him back? Again, I think the only way that it is going to be significantly difficult to bring him back, which I will sit here and tell you they need to do, especially knowing their situation, the only way to me that you just go, yeah, there's going to be no number that we can catch up with is if he starts someplace else. Or I take that back, if he believes he can start someplace else. So that's like two-prong. If a team says, yeah, you know what, we like you, and we got a you know, kind of a gap season here, as a starter or believes that he can compete as a starter. Now, you could make the argument here, we haven't seen five minutes of health from Anthony Richardson. So to me, you got to make sure you have somebody that's good. I'm not expecting him to be injured. I'm not suggesting he's going to be injured. I am just going by what you saw this year. In this day and age, it's not like when you had Manning and you thought, all right, well, there's the backup quarterback. And if he has to enter the game, then all is lost. We're all screwed. It's FUBAR. What you have to have now, especially coming off the year, the backup quarterback is somebody that is significant, especially if you're going to have your quarterback running all over the place. When he's going to run all over the property, and I know everybody says the good thing, well, he's going to learn and understand how to take hits and be safe, be more cautious. Again, you're not going to know anything until November. When it gets to be November, then if it's for the good, we can say, yep, see, what you guys talked about last year, you're right. Or if it's on the other side, we'll say something opposite. But in the meantime, you have to make sure you cover your ass. And you can say what you want about Gardner Minshew. You can say what you want about the Pro Bowl. It does not matter. He was significant in that capacity this year. And I know I know the schedule, the toughness of that is going to be escalated. I completely understand. 
I just don't know right now of a better option out there who has been through it, who has done it, who has worked with everybody here. I.e., I don't know anybody else that would make more sense than him next year. And the only thing that would hold him back would be more money, more opportunity, a combination of both. Sure, you're not going to know about the starter here. We will make we will make that announcement of uh, who he is and where he is and how he is. That of Anthony Richardson in November. Can't make that announcement right now because you just don't know. Jeremiah says, let me get back to it, because Minshew has been named to the flag football team means he's worth more money. <laughs> Now, listen, he's worth he's worth the time and the effort here. I don't know what he's worth anyplace else, but I think we know he's worth it here. You know, say what you want about his play, but he is worth it here. Give me a better option, I guess. If you give me a better option, I'll go with it. I don't know what the hell the better option is right now. I'm just telling you, if you put me on the spot right now, I would want him coming back because you don't know if your guy is going to be able to stay out there. Nobody knows that. You could tell me you do, but you don't. Damon says the Pro Bowl 2023 last year, that's 88K. 88K for the winner, 44K for the loser. I'm in. I'd be in for winning or losing in that. You imagine Gardner mentioned and they just said, hey, at the very least, you're going to make $44,000. I'll take it. For me, at the very least, you're going to make $44. I'll take it. All would fall in that category. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. By the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is a friend of the show. Family is a friend of the show. A junior having a fantastic year so far, along with his teammates for Chris Collins and Northwestern. Getting the boilers tomorrow night at Mac Arena in West Lafayette. Brooks Barnheiser joins us. Brooks, how you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Are you on the bus right now? Yeah. Yes, I am. Who are you sitting next to? I'm sitting next to Bruin Oh, yeah? Do they know that you're doing an interview in Indy? I think uh, I'm not sure if they do or not. Do they care? <laughs> I don't think so. Not at all. <laughs> oh man, we were just talking about you a little bit too, talking about your dad because uh, obviously so many fond memories with uh, you know growing up and, and being a part of your dad's life as a coach and uh, you know playing and stuff and 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 like that. Just I mean, all this this has to be a special type of season. You're having so much success. Your teammates, your team having success, and to be able to to you know get your parents up there to watch every game. I'm sure going to watch in West Lafayette coming up tomorrow. This has to be incredibly special this time of year for you right now yeah i mean i think it's been been awesome just kind of seeing uh you know some of my dreams come to a fortune a little bit um 
uh, it's been really cool just to like you know see success uh, kind of you know kind of start to creep in at this school because it's mean you know the school means the world to me and this team means the world to me so it's been awesome to just see like uh, you know we're kind of building it up brick by brick and you know every kind of day we add another one to you know that foundation that we're building so it's been awesome. When would you suggest you with this group turn the corner? and expected, no matter who you were playing, expected to win every night. I know you wanted to win every night, for example, when you were a freshman, sophomore, whatever. Mm-hmm. But when did you turn the corner with this group where, you know, whether or not you're in Evanston at Welsh Ryan or you're on the road, the expectation is you come away with a win? Yeah, I think uh, we really turned that corner, uh, I would say, my sophomore year. Just kind of seeing uh, the toughness that that group had. Um, you know, regardless of kind of what you said, whether we're at home or on the road, we just kind of not wanted to win. Uh, you know, we kind of like went in there and like, you know, that we kind of wanted and needed to win. Um, you know, and we believed that we could win. That was the biggest thing, just the belief and the, you know, confidence in ourselves that we have a really good team, have a really good group of guys. And uh, I think my sophomore year, it really clicked for us as a team. And we just uh, kind of saw that, you know, hey, on any given night, we can go out here and compete with the best of them. So Brooks Barnheiser of Northwestern again, Northwestern and Purdue. That is coming up tomorrow. Mac, you're reading West Lafayette. 15 and 5, third in the Big Ten. It kind of feels like you guys are hitting a really good patch right here. I mean, I know on the road at Nebraska, which is tough for everybody, that was a loss. I know on the road at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. tough for everybody, that's a loss. But these last two, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that home game you took care of, Illinois, in the fashion in which you did, and then you know Ohio State, it kind of feels like you guys are hitting a stride at the right time. Is that the same feeling for you? Yeah, you know, I hope so. Um, you know, I definitely feel like that. I think we we're uh, really starting to click kind of as a unit and just knowing, uh, getting to like where our identity is. I think it really came, uh, you know, the Illinois game was really good for us, but uh, I don't know if you saw, but like the last game against Ohio State, our defense, just our presence on defense was amazing. Um, you know, our activity on the defensive end, what we try to do, our principles, like we were really back to that. And that's kind of what got us into the tournament last year. So if we compare that with improved offense this year and just keep our defenses, uh, you know, as efficient as, you know, we believe it is. And, you know, we kind of pride ourselves on being the hardest playing team in the country. That's kind of what our saying is. And if we just worry about doing that, then I think that, yeah, like we can hit a really good stride. And I think we're starting to see it right here. And hopefully we can keep it going. Hey, Brooks, what does Chris Collins, your head coach, preach to you? What's on top of the list? Like, for example, just you know, view him like your dad. I, I pretty much know what your dad would say to you at the top mm-hmm. of the list on his expectations. What's Chris Collins, your head coach at Northwestern, at the top of the list say to you regarding the expectations, what he wants to see out of you at the top of that list? Yeah, I mean, I think what he really just wants to see me uh, do is just kind of, you know, be a leader out there on the court, whether it be, you know, defense, whether it be offense. Uh, you know, I, I think what he does a really good job um, for me, especially in my eyes, is just kind of putting me in positions where I can be successful, whether it be, you know, on defense, taking a, you know, a challenging matchup and, you know, uh, giving us energy on that end, or just be on offense where, you know, he's going to get me, um, you know, in a spot where I could, you know, be a playmaker or be aggressive and try to go be a scorer. So I think that really it's just him kind of telling me to go be me and, uh, you know, play hard and kind of set the, you know, set the tone for our squad because uh, he has that much faith in me. I think that's, you know, what's kind of allowed me to be a little bit uh, successful this, so far this year. What's he expect more out of you, offensively or defensively? And I'm talking about, you know, individual matchups. I mean, obviously, you know, you get boo-booey offensively, but what does he expect mm-hmm. the most out of you game to game? Which end of the floor? 
Yeah, I think uh, I would say probably defensively. You know, I think he knows what I can, what uh, you know, I can, and what I'm going to bring on offense, and uh, what I should bring because you know he sees all the time that I'm putting on that end, on that end. But I think he really wants me to come out and be, you know, uh, the glue for us on defense, uh, whether it be rebounding or whether it be, you know, we, you know, we switch one through four a lot. So uh, whether it be, uh, you know, taking the challenge on those, uh, you know, when I'm on a guard or I'm on a, you know, a stronger wing, I think he definitely really wants me to come out and uh, set the tone for us defensively because I think he knows that if I do that, offense will take care of itself. It's, uh, Brooks Barnheiser, the junior of Northwestern. It's Northwestern Purdue coming up from Mackey Arena tomorrow night. Brooks, only 15 a game, almost seven rebounds per game. When you were working in the offseason, this is clear to me, you had a lot of things. You were discovering yourself offensively, really both ends of the floor. How hard did you work on getting stronger? Because that seemed to me maybe your major focus this offseason, was it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've always kind of been a stronger kid, but uh, really just kind of like to your point, just being strong in uh, like in the game. Like, and what I mean by that is just kind of like you know using my strength uh, to my advantage on defense, using my strength to my advantage on offense, getting to where I want to be, and then on defense, just you know I'm not the you know lightest of foot guy, so beating people to their spots when they make a move and just chesting them and you know trying to stay in front of them with using my strength. Yeah, I would say that was a huge part of uh, this offseason. I think you hit a, uh, you know the head on the nail. Like, I, uh, you know, I got to use my strength to really benefit me because I'm, you know, not the, you know, lightest of foot guys. But um, yeah, definitely was trying to work on that this offseason for sure. What's boo booing mean to you and your teammates as the leader of this team? Eighteen and a half per game, and always at the end of games, it seems like he is uncanny with the basketball when you guys need a bucket. Yeah, man, he means the world to us. Um, you know, I think he's the best point guard in the country. And, you know, I, I may be biased, but I think a lot of other people uh, would believe that too. Um, but I don't think what a lot of people see uh, is his playmaking ability, you know, second to none as well. Um, you know, he's so dangerous with the ball in his hand. He draws a lot of attention. So, uh, you know, he really uh, he sees a lot of different coverages and a lot of different uh, schemes. But, you know, he's always making the right read. I think that's so good, uh, you know, for our squad because, you know, he puts uh, people in position to be really confident with their shots because, you know, they might get a couple open ones and they hit those, you know, now you can hit some more tougher ones because you see the ball go through the basket. So he means the world to us and our team. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I saw like a tweet, you know, somebody was like, man, they should build a statue here for, you know, for what he's done with that program. And, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, what the people think of him up here. And, you know, everything, he's earned all of that because, you know, he means the world to us. Have you seen in Evanston? It says on your court at Welsh Ryan, it says Chicago's Big Ten team. And, I mean, you know this from paying attention. I mean, Northwestern used to be a place where, you know, you get IU, you get Purdue, you get Wisconsin, you get Michigan, Michigan State. There'd be more of those fans supporting their team than there would Northwestern fans. How have you seen that evolve into a really great home court environment for your team? Man, uh, you know, I think you're exactly right. It's almost emotional uh, because I remember my freshman year, it was the uh, arena would be full of 70% of the other team's fans, and we would have maybe 30% for us on a home game. And then, like, you know, like that's so uh, demoralizing as a, you know, as a, a team trying to, you know, compete in the Big Ten because, you know, you got to get your home games. You got to get a majority of them, at least if you want to be successful and you want to try to beat the tournament. So, um, but now I don't know if you've seen or uh, you've heard about it, but man, it, those, you know, those home games are rocking, and we really have a home court advantage now, and it's, it's, it's awesome, you know, like those uh, fans, the students, and as well as, you know, 
just like uh, you know regular fans that come to the game. Uh, I would say that you know I think it's about ninety percent purple now, and it, you know yeah, that means yeah. the world to us. Yeah, it. Um, let me just say this, Brooks. It is like a one eighty compared to what I remember it to be. I mean, it was. I mean, it was where, you know, every IU grad that was in and around the Chicagoland area on a job would go. It would be like a home away from home for everybody else. And and it's just not that way anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, I think you're exactly right. You know, I think we're trying to, um, you know, we're really trying to build something here. I think we've done a good job by it. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to keep building up. And I hope that we still keep those you know, keeping those fans to come out every night because they need to work those. So, Brooke Barnheiser, again, got uh, Junior and the matchup with Purdue. How's it feel to go back home? Obviously, Lafayette, Indiana, Lafayette, Jeff is where you start. How does it feel to go back home and play against Matt Painter's team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a great opportunity. You know, I think, um, uh, you know, like, like they're arguably the best team in the country. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to sweep teams like this. So uh, it's just another really good opportunity for us to go get another, uh, you know, Big Ten road win against the, you know, arguably the best team in the country. So, you know, how could you not be excited? Um, and so I think it's awesome. And, you know, it's a dream come true. You know, a lot, my dad will be able to come. My mom will be able to come. So that will be awesome. Um, so it will be a really fun game. You know, hopefully we can, you know, go out there and compete. They uh they go to every game, but every game anyway. I think Braxton plays tonight for Rollins, right? Does he not have a game tonight? Yeah, yeah, my brother has a game tonight, so uh, he'll be able to. I'll be able to catch his game on a, on the live stream. Uh, I'm glad it's not you know during my game tomorrow. So yeah, he's playing for Rollins tonight. That been a pretty good fit for him. Yeah, yeah, That's good. Uh, it's been a really good fit. You know, uh, he he loves the game. You know, uh, just like all of us. So he's he's having a lot of fun down there, and uh, he sends me pictures every day. You know, the weather's you know very more favorable down there so it's kind of funny he kind of sees me that i'm in the cold weather and he's in the warm weather but he loves it hey uh i get to go play with uh darmelio and landis tonight you, you want to come down and play with us man i would <laughs> love to you know I, I used to dream of going to those when i was a kid you know you guys would kind of beat up on me when i was a little kid and i would love to go go back now and kind of see what, it, what it's like man you get those runs i mean those runs are my dad's favorite thing to talk about still are so I think it's awesome. I love that you guys are still playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ray. Brandon Ray will be a part of it tonight, mm-hmm. too. I, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, oh, the squad's going to be there. I, I, yeah. I, I used to watch Ray, and we never said it out loud because, obviously, if he wanted to, we used to watch Ray would just absolutely tear up Trace. Trace Jackson mm-hmm. Davis all the time. But, oh but, gosh, but, but Trace was such a good dude. I mean, he, if he wanted to, I mean, he could just rise up and dunk every time. But uh, mm-hmm. it was yeah. it was always fun. Always fun to play. So yeah, those guys would be involved tonight. You're right. Those were those were the good old days right there of uh, man, the good old days running yeah. running uh, up and down. You're you're at such a higher level right now. We just watch your game. You know, obviously grow and grow and grow. What's next? What what do you need? If there's a, a facet of your game right now that you really want to work on and get better, what what would that be? Yeah, you know, I think that's a yeah, that's a tough question. So I'd love to get better at everything, but. If I can just keep defending, you know, I think that uh, if I can keep improving, um, just uh, with, uh, you know, the way I use my body, how I use my body on defensive, and I always think the offense will take care of itself because, you know, you, you can work on offense a lot every day, but uh, defense is really the part that, you know, I think is becoming a, you know, a lost kind of art in our game. And I, I think because, you know, players are getting so much more confident now, so if I can just keep improving defensively, keep rebounding, you know, keep being a force on the other end, and I'm sure the offense will keep taking care of itself. So, so I hope that I can just keep improving on that end. 
Do you get any more inspired playing Purdue in Lafayette than you might another game, or do you try to keep it on an on an even level game to game in which you play? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I try to just keep it on the even level. You know, because every team is really good. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I, I think I definitely am going to be super excited to play because they are arguably the best team in the country. You know, I don't think there's any like added motivation just because you know I live close to there. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, it's going to be so fun to just go play against a team of that caliber, you know, with a great coach like Coach Painter, you know, great players, you know, the best player in the country, and Edie. Like, it's going to be an awesome, awesome time and an awesome, you know, opportunity to go play. So, you know, whenever I'm playing basketball, you know, I'm in the happiest I can be regardless of who it's against. So, you know, it'll be fun, you know, Wednesday night. How, um, how long have you known Matt Painter? Now, obviously, you, you didn't go. Was Was there ever a thought that maybe you would end up staying at home in Lafayette and playing there, which obviously going to Northwestern was a great call. This has been a really like a glove fit for you, but was there, was there ever maybe some thought you would end up playing at Purdue? Yeah, you know, um, uh, my dad, I think, knows Matt pretty well. Um, I remember my dad spoke at one of Matt's um, coaches' clinics. Uh, I, I know that they're pretty, uh, you know, they're pretty good friends, but, you know, I've, I've never really got to know Matt uh, really well. But uh, in my class, um, I know they really needed big, uh, so I, they never really recruited me. But uh, I remember, I know they went and got first and Coughlin. Those are really, two really good players um, that were in my class, you know, in the same all-star team. And I love those guys. Uh, but, yeah, I don't really know Matt uh, a lot personally. I know my dad does. But, I mean, I, you know, I got nothing but respect for him because he's you know, arguably one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, so uh, I, don't, I, don't, I never really thought, uh, you know, Purdue was never really an option for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I got nothing but respect for the program. And uh, I know he's a great guy and a great coach. Yeah, no doubt about that, too. And uh, yeah, listen, what I said, you, your fit is right there. What a great fit yeah, for you. I mean, yeah, you, you can man, just you can just see your game evolving, mm-hmm. getting better, understanding. And uh, it's cool to watch, man. I mean, it really is. Man, Bet- between uh, between watching you play for Northwestern, which we do every night, and uh, watching yeah. Dusty coach down at Florida Atlantic, which we do yeah, all the that? time. Yeah, how about that, man? That's that's awesome. I, like I remember, I, like I'm so proud of him. Like, cause I remember uh, my dad. Like, I remember Dusty hit me up this year. Like, just telling me, um, man, to just like, and it's so cool. Like how small this world is. Like, uh, kind of like our our family's kind of expanded. You know, you guys, uh, and, and then Dusty. I mean, how about that? Like, he hit me up on uh, Twitter and he was like, man, just tell your dad that like. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, I really love him and like, I none of this would be possible without him. So how about that? You know, like what a great guy. And I'm so proud of him because, you know, like we all know his story, how hard he worked, yep. uh, you know, so we had nothing but most respect for him. Yeah. I'm just glad nobody ever called the cops at Eastern when we all played in the mornings. That was good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. About those stories, so. Yeah. Hey, go at it tomorrow night. Have a great game. Continued success. I'll uh, I'll catch up with you here further down the road. Tell your mom and dad and your brother we all said hello down here, and we we love watching you play, man. I will for sure. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, take it easy, Brooks. Thank you very much for the call. Brooks Barnheiser right there. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
Joining us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon, who catches work at Forbes Sports. Uh, previously, basketball news, SB Nation. He's all about it in terms of the NBA as we approach the trade deadline, I believe, a week from Thursday. The work that has been done, the work that could be done, and where the Pacers are moving forward. Evan Sidery joins us now. Hello, Evan. How are you? Doing great, John. How about yourself? You remember the uh, unraveling in 2014 with the Pacers GQ photo shoot? All too familiar, honestly. I was a junior in high school then, and that was a fun time for me, but also a fun time for the Pacers. And you gotta gotta think back to that photo. And I was appalled in the moment by that. I don't know why they did that, and the bad mojo off of that. It was just a a, a weird, weird little chapter, little tidbit to that Pacers. Oh yeah, it. Uh, you look back on that, and you do not look on that glowingly. What so stinking ever, at all, nothing. But uh, interesting. Uh, 10-year anniversary forthcoming here next month. All right, Evan, uh, we get Pacers in Boston coming up later on tonight. I want to talk about that. I talked to Chad Buchanan, the Pacers general manager, yesterday. I happen to think they're done. I think even with these expiring contracts, they're going to kind of sit going into the trade deadline. They want to see what they have right now when everything finally comes together and is able to healthy play with one another. That's what I gathered from him in that conversation yesterday. What do you think? I'm I'm right there with you. And I think the only way they make any sort of move, and I still think it's unlikely, it's based off his relationship with Tyrese Halliburton, but maybe they could flip Buddy Heald, his $19 million expiring contract, into a defensive wing or into another kind of win-now player for this postseason run. But if he can get a slump out of the slump he's in right now, he's just having a career-worst stretch right now over the last couple of weeks. But also, I think the emergence of Ben Shepard over that same time frame, John, I think is really important here. He's looked fantastic over the last week or so, and he's really actually biting into Buddy's minutes a little bit. And he's actually playing around the same minutes as Buddy Heald per game. So you have to wonder maybe after the All-Star break, does Ben Shepard keep getting more and more minutes? And where does Buddy Heald kind of fit in the mix with Tyrese not getting back to the lineup there? That's the only move I could potentially think of making. But with the way they're playing, the way they're playing without Tyrese Halber on top of that with Pascal Siakam in the lineup now, they probably stand pat, I imagine. Yeah, I just – you know what? I even ask him you – know, are you going to be able to see enough prior to the trade deadline? He said, no. I just kind of think, and I also asked him if he felt like they needed to get something done because of the expiring contract nature of three other guys, and they didn't feel it necessary. I just think they want to see what that they have, and it's going to be longer. It's going to take longer to see that when it's all healthy and together than the time that they have prior to the trade deadline. Yeah, I don't think you're really going to see a full version of this pitch team 100% chemistry until after the All-Star break, which is still another month or so away. And that's, I think, when you're going to see a true kind of feel of where this Pacers team can be. They're playing fantastic fantastic over the last couple of weeks without Tyrese Halbert in the lineup. Pascal Siakam has looked everything as I thought he would and more since he's joined the team. And now you get Tyrese back in the lineup there. It's going to be a dynamic one-two punch when they're consistently back in the lineup together. And you see these young guys emerging. Obi Toppin, Jalen Smith are playing fantastic, as has Ben Shepard. I think you're going to see this team really take up a notch. With their, they're the third easiest schedule in the NBA, John, over the last 30 or so games. So if they can take advantage of the stretch coming up here, get through this without Tyrese Halliburton, who's going to be back tonight, of course. I think this Pacers team, their big addition it was Pascal Siakam, and now it's just all about getting that chemistry with him and Tyrese Halliburton. No, I, I agree, too. And, um, yeah, obviously they – 
they rallied without Halliburton over a stretch when it was predicted. And I thought, man, this is going to get really ugly. And the fact that they sustained against Philly and then that come from behind win on Friday against the Suns and, you know, really what was kind of a, a bare knuckle brawl on Sunday against Memphis. I mean, really, I didn't think that they were going to get all those. And the fact that they did really bodes well for now the return of Halliburton and getting him back in the mix here uh, and getting more minutes further down the road. Yeah, I think the really the big turning point for me to seeing the Siakam-led Pacers team now was when they snapped that losing streak against the Philadelphia 76ers, where I think his teammates even realized in that game, Pascal Siakam is an All-NBA level player. Just get the ball in his hands every possession. He's going to either get you the ball via passing or he's going to go score by himself. And that triple-double and that huge win over Philadelphia, who was right in their own win streak, the next night to come back and beat a loaded Phoenix Suns team with Booker going for 62 points. I think it just kind of showed them without their superstar player in Tyrese Halliburton that they could be a legit, legit playoff threat this year. And now with Tyrese back in the lineup, I do think that they're going to make a lot of noise. And I think this huge stretch you're coming up here before the All-Star break to get Halliburton and Siakam some minutes going together, that's the big key here. If they can keep them the winning ways going here, John, I think they're going to be in a really good spot potentially vault into that top five, top four range. Yeah, they've had some interesting moments, Evan, this season with the Celtics. I mean, a, a what, a 50-point blowout, and then really their, their signature game, if you want to call it that, that Monday night that vaulted them into the semifinals of that first in-season tournament, and then losing Halliburton and sustaining. There have been some signature moments. So what's your expectation for this matchup tonight in Boston? I'm expecting, I mean, because the Pacers have have had their moments. I mean, we saw last year Tyrese Halliburton go for his monster game in Boston. He usually always does well. But we know Rick Carlisle mentioned today, talking with Kevin, there's going to be a minutes restriction tonight with Tyrese. So I do think that we're not going to see maybe more than 20, 25 minutes from him. I would lean more towards Boston this matchup. They need this kind of win. They've been kind of inconsistent as of late. And it's a primetime matchup for them in Boston. I would lean towards Boston this one. But I'm going to be very curious to see how a guy like Siakam really helps out against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown because the Pacers have an Aaron Neesmith who can guard one of those guys. But now with, I would imagine, Siakam guarding Jason Tatum tonight. Siakam on defense has been underrated throughout his career, and I think you're going to see tonight a locked-in Siakam against Jason Tatum and kind of what could be a playoff preview matchup in the semifinals if it gets to that point in April or May where these two teams can lock horns once more. Hey, what's been your impression of this Pacer team since they made that switch? And we'll see. I know that there was a, a back situation with, with Jalen Smith, but not drastically better. But their defense has been better, certainly, since Jalen Smith was vaulted into the starting lineup. What do you make of that group since that point in time? Yeah, it really is Jalen Smith, Andrew Nemhard also getting healthy and, and getting back to that lineup. He's been huge on the defensive end too. And you have you're now you're starting to add in some really good solid non negative defenders into this rotation with Siakam, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nemhard, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson. You can put a lot of good talented defensive players around Halliburton and not really worry about much. And that was kind of the main goal about building this team was having a lot of plus defenders who can shoot. And that's exactly what the Pacers have now around Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal Siakam and I think this is a now a consistent, I would say, if they're even a top-20 defense, if they're just not terrible. We, they, they've shown already this year how dynamic their offense is. It's on a historic pace already. That's one of the top five all time. If they can just be average on defense, I think they're going to be a nightmare in the postseason. They're going to run teams off the court, and all I have to do is make a couple stops here and there because their offense is going to do it. But if their defense can just lock in, and mainly it's going to be guys like Siakam and Aaron Neesmith and Miles Turner, 
if they can play at an elite level on that end, I think they're going to be very, very good. What do you think they can get as far as the Eastern Conference playoff picture is concerned? I, I have been a little bit backed off on this. I, I expect a lot. I just don't know if they can get as high as some people suggest they believe they can what do you think their destination is going to be? If they continue to play, continue to play together, stay, I guess, relatively healthy would be the phrase right here. Where can they get ultimately in this Eastern Conference at the end of the regular season? Yeah, I would lean more towards they just barely avoid the plan. So I would lean around the five or six seed, right. which would get them a great matchup. It would have allowed them to avoid the plan tournament, probably play against like Miami in the first round as a three seed or potentially the New York Knicks who are playing very fantastic ball lately. I think a matchup against one of those two teams seems like the most plausible scenario right now. And just with the way Tyrese Halburn's been in and out of the lineup, you have to wonder with injuries if he's going to be limited just to help himself out the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to probably be more conservative on the Pacers' part to keep him healthy throughout the rest of the season. So I'd probably lean towards him getting around 45, 46 wins, get around the sixth seed, and have a pretty favorable matchup, I'd say, against a team like a Cleveland or a New York in the first round. Evan Sider again, Forbes Sports, and again, writes regarding the NBAs on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, so we both believe that the Pacers are done prior to uh, next Thursday's NBA trade deadline. What else might happen? Who else is out there? Who else may be making some moves as we move forward to that hardline date? Yeah, I think a lot of people now are focusing back on the Golden State Warriors and what's going to happen there. I know Sham Sharania put out yesterday that the Warriors could be listening to trade offers on Chris Paul, potentially even Clay Thompson on top of that. But Andrew Wiggins seemed like the most likely player that's going to be moved on their team. He's been very inconsistent throughout this season. He's on a, a big contract, too, for another three and a half years after the trade deadline. So I think he's probably going to be the player that's moved the most likely that's on the list. I, I know Zach Levine's been floated out there a lot, but I still think the market's there for the Bulls to get off Zach Levine and that huge contract he has. So I honestly think the Pacers' big move with Pascal Siakam and mix with OG Ananobi, I think those are probably the two big size of moves that we've seen at this trade deadline. And maybe at the deadline we might, might see more of the small, smaller moves, like role players get moved off of bad teams for smaller types of deals. I think that's probably what you're going to see. Teams like the Hornets, the Wizards, or the Trailblazers, the teams are going to be selling pretty high on veterans, like a Malcolm Brogdon, for example, in Portland. Those are the teams you got to watch out for and, and guys that probably are going to be on the move. So Evan Sider, who joins us, too. Uh, I brought up Aaron Neesmith a little bit earlier. When you look back at the value the Pacers got in that particular deal, how much of a steal now, considering his value to this Pacer team and their success, how much of a steal does that look like? Oh, I think right when it happened, before this Neesmith break, I just knew if he's just a 40% three-point shooter, if he's just aggressive on defense as he's been, that's going to be one of the better value contracts in the NBA in a couple of years, but already showing it before the extension kicks in, John, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA at 46.5%. We've seen his bulldog defense the last two years in Indiana. He's, I think, easily one of the more underrated defenders in the NBA. And this is fit with, in the system for Rick Carlisle. It just fits like a glove for him. So I, I do think it's going to be one of the best value contracts in the league. And he's, I think he's proven cemented himself. I don't know about you, John, but I would be very hard-pressed the, the Pacers to go find another upgrade over Aaron Neesmith. I'm very high on his potential. I think he's probably locked in as your starting small forward in the future. I, I think the way he's played, uh, I'm right there. Yeah, I, I gave him lots of props a little bit earlier. He just he, he does everything, and a little bit of everything, and it's always like something every night, and it may not jump off the stat sheet for you, 
but you normally you look at him and he's doing something major when this team wins to help this team get to that point. Oh, absolutely. And you look back on that trade now, John, where they got Neesmith in that Malcolm Brogdon trade. And that one first-round pick they got from Boston, they actually used to trade with the Nuggets on draft night to get the pick they used for Pascal Siakam. So that Malcolm Brogdon trade, looking back on now, it's the, the, the little pieces off of it. You get Aaron Neesmith, potentially your starting small forward of the future, and a superstar in Pascal Siakam on top of that. Uh, it just goes to show, I think, just the shrewdness of Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan in that front office. They haven't lost on a trade, I don't think, ever. And that kind of move to get a guy like Aaron Neesmith, who you believe in, who you think can develop in this right program with Rick Carlisle, it's a good success story for the Pacers where they can really show they can develop this young talent in Neesmith's place, example. He is uh, Evan Sidery, uh, writes regarding the NBA, of course. A standalone for the Pacers tonight. Just on TNT, there's no ballet, so Chris and Quinn and J.J. have the night off to watch in Boston this evening, but there's, again, no no ballot tonight. It's on TNT. Pacers, Celtics, and then you get the 76ers and the Warriors. You brought up, prior to the trade deadline, the Warriors. I'm assuming Bob Myers knew what was coming down the road here. Adam is the reason why he stepped away. I think Mike Dunleavy Jr. is the guy that runs the show now in Golden State. Is that how we view it? So you go from that spot to ESPN because you knew kind of what was coming down the road on this? I would say so, and I, I think now with the position he's in, I think he just accepted the consulting role with the commanders, too, so he even got a bigger payday off of that now and going to the NFL, and I think he just kind of knew the writing was on the wall with this Golden State team. I think we saw the peak of them on that championship run, and it, I mean, every player, what, what any sport, age is going to catch up to you at some point, but the way that Klay Thompson's played lately this season, same with Draymond Green, it's sad to watch just the basketball fan, because those guys definitely aren't the same, but Father Time never loses, and Steph Curry and that team, they're 19 and 24 now, don't have a lot of assets to play with either. They're going to have to make some sort of rabbit out of their hat and move at the deadline here, or they're going to be probably going down further and further into their, into their stretch. So the Celtics had to play it out heavily last night in that win against the Pelicans in the second of a back-to-back tonight. They have any injury concerns to speak of? I'm assuming poor Zingas might be one of them, but anything you have seen as far as more than likely participating or not tonight against the Pacers? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Al Horford is out tonight. He's sitting out the second night of back-to-back. Porzingis is questionable, so I would not be shocked if he sits out too. And if that's the case, that's going to be a big night for guys like Siakam and Miles Turner. And the Pacers have the rest advantage, of course, too, with that back-to-back they just played. So I actually like the Pacers' chances tonight. If Halliburton can be just even 90% of himself and just not get injured again, I think this Pacers team has a good shot of winning this game tonight and kind of stealing on a big spotlight game for them on TNT. They're only one of the year which I think is just a crime in itself, honestly. They get the Knicks coming up on Thursday at Madison Square Garden. How long is Julius Randle going to be out? So Randle's going to be out, I believe, for at minimum two to three weeks. And then the Knicks announced he's going to be reevaluated after that time. Big loss for New York. Obviously, Randle's a great scorer, but getting OG and Anobi in there, or Jalen Brunson playing at the level he is, that Knicks team, they, they've been very legit. They're going to be a really tough team to watch out for. All right, Evan, what you're writing about as we approach the NBA trade deadline? Just going to be talking about deadline targets, honestly, John. Looking at other teams, might even write about Buddy Heald and if the Pacers want to use his contract. But I, after listening to Chad Buchanan and Rick on the shows the last couple of days, I imagine that's not going to be the case. But it's always good to explore those options. So probably just more trade deadline coverage coming for myself over the next couple of weeks. You got it, Evan. As always, it is a pleasure. Thank you for the call. Absolutely, John. Anytime. Appreciate it. Evan Sidery, Forbes Sports. Used to be Basketball News. SB Nation keeps track of what's going on in the NBA. And he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline today. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline right now. Friend of the show, Greg Rakestraw, joins us. I, I feel this. I'm going to talk to Brooks a little bit earlier. You did some of his games at Lafayette, Jeff, and we've watched him over the past uh, two years and now his, his third year, his junior year, in Evanston evolve into the type of player he is right now. I, I always thought that that was perfect for him. But there's also part of me that kind of wondered, for example, what he may look like you know, playing for Matt Painter at Purdue. What did you think? You know, it, it, it's a it's a fair question. I think he wanted to go a little further away from home. Obviously, not too far away. So, mom and dad come watch him play. But I'm not sure that that he wanted to stay in Purdue. And frankly, you know, because he wasn't exactly a late move in, uh, because he spent a lot of his formative years not at Indiana. Maybe he was kind of late getting on the radar. Um, frankly, maybe because you know his dad didn't have the greatest experience at Purdue. He wasn't going to go to Purdue either. Uh, I don't know. Um, and given how crowded the roster is with Indiana talent at Purdue, maybe the better question is, what would he have looked like if he had played at the Indiana University? They could use a player uh, of his talents right now. But more importantly, he's a good kid, and I'm really happy for him. But he's had just a great experience at Northwest. Yeah, he's been really a part of, even more a part of this Chris Collins evolution of this team. And you know what? They're one of these teams of the Big Ten where you, you kind of write the Big Ten off compared to you know years here recently in the past about you know how many teams they're going to get in. But they are one team in the Big Ten right now that kind of you know is stepping up and, and staking its claim on a spot in this NCAA tournament. It looks like the Big Ten's getting five or six, and they are one of those five or six. And obviously they have a win that is like gold, having beaten Purdue back on December the 1st. The rent may be due on that coming up later this week, knowing that uh, they've got the Boilermakers coming up. Uh, But at the same time, um, I think they're a tournament team. And it it isn't lost on me either that Chris Collins keeps recruiting this area and recruits it well, whether it was Brian McIntosh, whether it's Brooks Barnheiser, uh, now K.J. Windham from Ben Davis heading that way. Um, things go well when you recruit the state of Indiana, it seems. So Greg Rakestraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Brooks Barnheiser, by the way, joins us in the 5 o'clock hour of Northwestern. So Iowa and Indiana, you know, it's one thing to talk about IU and their lack of three-point shooting prowess and, and going in a game in which they were actually in and competitive and not hitting a three is amazing in this era of basketball alone. But the thing that really stands out to me, is the free-throw shooting, it is absolutely atrocious for a team with that type of talent at that level. So even more than three, you need three-pointers, but the free-throw shooting, this is just a really bad shooting team unless you're about a foot away from the basket. Correct. And again, in an era where you are not locked into guys for four or five years, when you can go out and flip the roster and literally talent goes to the highest bidder, you could be one of the highest bidders, it is, it is, you know, jaw-dropping that this team has such struggles shooting the ball or that you don't have a shooter or two 
to complement what is clearly a roster of talented post players that has been assembled by Mike Woodson and staff. You know, I mentioned that loss to 10th-ranked Illinois over the weekend, and that was on Saturday in Champaign. Khalil Ware, I saw where Jeff Ravjohns mentioned Khalil Ware, that he's expected to play tonight. If, if Ware plays in that Illinois game, I think obviously there would be more of a chance, but would you give them more than that puncher's chance to win the game if he would have participated, or would it probably have gone the same sort of way? I, I think somewhere in the middle. You, you Clearly they're a better team with him. But again, he doesn't exactly spell what ails them right now. You know, they've got guys that can kind of replicate his skill set. They are not, you know, they're not hurting for post players. They look like a team that's built to play in 1985. They'd have a good chance against, you know, the Hoya Paranoia teams of uh, of Ewing, Graham, et cetera, where it was big, 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 big. you got to have some shooting. And obviously, at this point in time of the season, I'm not sure that's going to get rectified between now and the middle of March. Um, other than just getting a win and being 12-8 and eight with both teams, is there anything else in this matchup down in Bloomington tonight with Iowa and Indiana that's on the line? Yeah, you're trying to stack wins. Um, you know, the benefit of playing in a in – a, Power Five Conference, even if this conference is down and the ACC is down and the Pac-12 is down, you and I both know the Valley's not suddenly getting three bids this year. Maybe they might. You never know. Um, the Mountain West is going to take some more bids than usual. But you still have a better chance if you're the sixth or seventh place team in a league like the ACC or Big Ten to get in. And so if you're both Iowa and Indiana – you know, it's like the old line from Bull Durham, you know, winning is like better than losing. So find a way to win the game. At least you can say, hey, here's another win for our resume because it beats the alternative of losing to a team that probably is in the same boat that you are. He is Greg Rakeser on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We know Tony Perkins really well from Lawrence North yep. and having a good season, especially over the last 10 games, almost 18 points a game. The type of issue he poses for this IU defense tonight. You know, he could be all over the floor, uh, you know, from a literal standpoint. And so happy for him to get to the 1,000-point club because he was a kid that kind of blew up late in the recruiting circuit. And, again, I reference this for Northwestern. Obviously, you know, Sherm Dillard has, has kind of led that charge in terms of recruiting this state in his days of working for Fran McCaffrey at Iowa. You know, he didn't land uh, Xavier Booker. He landed Tony Perkins four years earlier. Now, that was a kid that really – you know, the, the AAU circuit between his junior and senior year is what led to him getting that opportunity. And it wasn't the greatest senior class. It was obviously the COVID year, sir, but everything kind of got cut short. But I'm not sure people really knew what to expect or thought he was a, a Big Ten caliber player or a kid that would make a difference on an upper-end Big Ten team, and that he has turned into. So um, the fact that, that he can, you know, whether it's create his own shot, shoot the basketball, he is such kind of a jack-of-all-trades player. You could see him doing a variety of things for the Hawkeyes tonight. Meantime, Greg, on Saturday, let's just face it, Butler kept their hopes alive in the Big East. That double overtime went in Hinkle over Villanova, which uh, is of high importance. Now you go back-to-back, 13th-ranked Creighton Friday night, and then next week, a week from tonight, on the road against UConn. you got to have one or it's certainly two of those would be great. You have to have one or two. You just can't go O for two. Is that how you view this with those two games? Again, because there's such depth in the Big East, I, I don't. It, your life is a lot easier with one of those. I don't think you're going to win both of them. Um, but if you if you can win one of them, it gives you an opportunity. Um, and it's 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 the same thing you would say about Indiana and Iowa. Again, 
you 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 beat Villanova, who frankly was kind of ahead of uh, in the pecking order in terms of Big East teams talking about the NCAA tournament than you were. Um, you just got to keep stacking wins, and if you do that, given the caliber of competition of the Big East, you're going to beat. Uh, those are you know quad one wins a plenty are available, and in a year where again in other power conferences there is not the depth that there has been. It gives Butler an opportunity to be in the dance. So um, winning one of those is great. I still think even some mandatories because again, there's such depth in that in that league. There's great chances to get those W's all the way into mid March. He's Greg Rexer on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We have talked about this a couple of different times. You get Indiana State overtime over Bradley on Saturday, uh, eighteen and three and nine and one right now atop the Missouri Valley, and and you brought up the power conferences, again, not being as robust as we have seen. I still operate and maintain that they have to win in St. Louis in March. Have they already blown a potential at-large with losing on the road at Drake, or might there be an outside chance if they, from here on out, run the table regular season-wise and have a good showing in St. Louis that they can receive an at-large? I think if they can get to 18 and two in the league, so one more loss, and then maybe make the championship game, and again, circumstances surrounding them kind of open up this opportunity. But here is the number that to me is the most important number for Indiana State. John, have you looked at the net rankings today as to where Indiana State slots in? I have not. Am I about ready to seize the moment with a sports arousal with what you're about uh, to tell I, me? I th- I, I think you will have a sports Chubbs Peterson on this one. Um, Tell me all about it. They're they're twenty fourth, John. Whoa! I mean that's that's really impressive. That doesn't mean they're going to be a six seed. That's not the way it works. Right. But in the most valuable metric that that the tournament committee uses, they're looking really good. We talk about AP polls and coaches polls and stuff like that. I tend to agree with you. Just win the darn thing and not to sweat it out for a week. But they are starting to get to the territory where they are at least being talked about as an at-large contender. And because that's the case five or six weeks out, that means there's a chance it might be happening, John. All right. So uh, before I go jousting here, Greg, I'm, I'm curious. I remember last year, and Dusty May just started coming on the show. Because all of a sudden, Florida Atlantic went was was on a run, going on a run, and then obviously, I'm not suggesting at all there is a mirror reflection or an image of Indiana State to Florida Atlantic. I'm just telling you how I feel. All of a sudden, they started getting run and started getting talked about, and they continued to win, and they have players that play a fun style of together basketball, much like Indiana State does. Are there, might there be any... You think connections, relatables between last year and FAU and what we saw this time of year compared to where the Sycamores are this time of year this year? I think the most important connection you can make is one you're not supposed to make, but we're human beings. And so that is the people that are on the selection committee are not supposed to be thinking about the history, also thinking about the names on the front of the jersey, but it's impossible not to when you think, hey, a team who at the time I believe was in Conference USA – uh, makes the final four and and makes a deep run, maybe that potentially validates a team from a similar league, and I would argue the Valley would have been a better league than Conference USA 
last year. I think they were in Conference USA and not the American. My apologies if I'm getting the league wrong. I think they're in the American now. Um, but but I think it makes it perhaps easier to take an additional mid-major or two compared to the eighth-place team in a league that, by all standards, is a bit more mediocre this year. I think that's the connection that is important to be made. Now, in terms of kind of the DNA of this Indiana State team, one of the things we have said is they, they have all the pieces that if they get in the tournament as likely a 10, 11, or 12 seed, that's one you go, hey, um, they could be playing for the second weekend of the tournament. This Indiana State team has all of that feel. It's got to get there first. So Greg Rakestraw, he's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So I want to get back to Matt Painter and then move on to the high school schedule I'm sure you have beginning tonight and the rest of this week. But Matt was asked the question about Braden Smith not making the 2024 Bob Cousy Award list. His quote was, it was like the Indiana High School sectional. I think they just drew it out of a hat. Did Braden Smith get jobbed in that category for not getting that type of nominee um, recommendation and, and the fact that he's not in that running for that Koozie Award? It is a wonderful motivational chip for, for he and for Matt Painter. And I, and I don't think that because he was on the midseason watch list doesn't mean he's not eligible for the award. But you and I both know athletes look for every single source of motivation they can find, especially when we get kind of the dog days of the season. And again, as as you and I have probably belabored the point, you know, what's more important right now to me about Purdue is where they are seated and the fact, you know, are they on the path that takes them from Indianapolis to Detroit so they can be as close to home as possible before then going to the Final Four. I don't really care about the Big Ten regular season. I don't care about the Big Ten tournament. If they win them, great. But I've seen that record before. I want them playing better basketball, and I want them to be playing a bit of combination of pissed off and angry. And if this is the thing that makes them feel that way for the next week or two, then it's manna from heaven for Matt Painter and for his team. All right, so you got girls' sectional play that begins later on tonight at various spots around the state. Stretch run for the fellas during the regular season. Where do we begin with your schedule? And what interests you about this time of year? My schedule for ISC is this because a lot of the boys, some of the boys teams played last night. But there's a lot, of, a lot of makeup games in the last couple of weeks. If something got snowed out, uh, colded out, et cetera. So there were a handful of games last night. Uh, the game that I have Thursday night will be Lawrence North and Carmel as Carmel tries to beat the number one team in the state for a second consecutive game. They handed Fishers their first loss of the season on Saturday night, 54 to 46. Lawrence North is now one of two unbeaten teams in the upper echelons of 4A, Greenfield Central being the other one. Lawrence North and Fishers are going to split the number one rankings in a couple of different polls. It's now all LN after getting uh, after Fishers' loss. And so Carmel, who had really struggled early, now they have won four consecutive games. Can they do it again? That's my game on Thursday night. On Friday night, we will have a girls' sectional semifinal which teams to be determined, but the likely participants are LN and LC. Lawrence North, I want to say, is ninth in the state this week. LC is number one, and I have told this story in a variety of interviews. Lawrence Central has a, has a core of players and our sophomores and juniors um, that are program changers for Lawrence Central. They are number one in the state. They have won 23 games. They won the Marion County Tournament for the first time. Their lone loss is to a team from Kentucky. John, they have not won a postseason game 
since 2001. Not a sectional, a game. They have lost 22 consecutive postseason games. Yet they're 23-1, and and they're number one in the state. And they and LM, the big rivals, play each other. The last four times they have played, John, the margins are a combined seven points. So whatever you're doing on Friday night, if you can't get to Cathedral, we'll have the game for you on ISC and my Indy TV. And a reminder, all sectional and regional games, both girls and boys basketball, are free streams at IHSAATV.org. You got anybody in mind for the girls to reach the uh, what is going to be the finals, basically, in each class? Anybody come to mind? Well, obviously, Lanesville is the defending champions, John. I can't let that one slide. Um, and they are, <laughs> yes. last, that I, last that I checked the SAGA ratings, they were, they were number 35 in the state of everybody. Um, they're really good at the 1A level, and, and they're 22-1 and one heading into the postseason. Um, you know, in terms of 4A, again, whoever comes out of that LCLN group, Hamilton Southeastern's got some talent in 3A, Indian Creek, Get your attention with Faith Wiseman. She was one of the IBCA players of the week this week, and she's heading to play at Indiana University. So, uh, But probably my interest is probably most dedicated to 1A and 4A as we speak. There you go. Greg Rakestraw's all about this time of year with us via the Andy Moore. Automotive Group Hotline, and always a solid request every single Saturday night. So. What is the theme this Saturday, my friend? Oh, well, they call it whatever, but I'd like to keep the whatever dialed down because then it goes all over the place. So we'll stick where where normalcy prevails on the 80s, 70s, and a little bit of 90s if you want to mix it in, something like that. Frank Zappa and Gore back-to-back. Got it. Okay. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'll look for your call. See you.